chances are if you like this podcast, you'll like other podcasts made by Lush. So why not listen to the Lush podcast? It's a podcast. It's made by Lush, hence the name. Find it where you find podcasts, usually on the internet. Welcome to Tiny Revolutions with me, Tiff Stevenson, the podcast that asks if comedy can be a force for social change. Please welcome to Tiny Revolution, Sarah Pascoe. I'm clapping you on. Thank you so much for my tiny applause. <laughs> tiny Revolutions with Tiny Applause. Uh, welcome to the show, and you are the perfect guest for this show. One of the first people I thought of when we came up with a concept for the show, because I believe you are someone who affects social change through your comedy. Oh, that's a nice thing to say. Uh, yeah, and you can say it about someone else. If you say it about yourself... You're an asshole. Yeah. But um, <laughs> those, those people are always affecting very negative social change. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm affecting social change by making everyone around me want to leave. Yeah. So there's a, there's a change. Um, do you believe broadly that comedy can be a force for social change? Uh, I believe that as a commentary on society at large, there are lots of possibilities for comedy. But I also believe that active joking invo- involves flippancy. And I can think of lots of examples like um, actually Simon Amstel, who did some amazing jokes. I remember the first time I saw him joking about being vegan. It was about the first man who drank, thought to drink milk from a cow. And I thought it's such an incredible thing because no one in the audience, no matter what they eat, feels lectured or hectored by you because the bit's just so surreal. And then he made his film Carnage. And it was this really incredible piece of vegan propaganda that people didn't realise at first because they were just watching Simon Amstel's funny film. Yeah, yeah. So, and so I do, I can definitely think of examples where I go, whoa, it, and it, something reaches so many more people because it's palatable and fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that of, uh, when I think about your comedy, I think about, uh, on, on a couple of things, I think about things we share and things we don't share. So yes. points of view we share and we don't share. Yeah. And seeing as you brought up veganism early, let's talk about that. Yeah. Because you were at my house the other day. Yeah. Sarah came to my house. It was at night. There might have been wine drunk. And um, I have an all white leather sofa. So I had a little panic of yeah. putting a throw down going, oh, Sarah, I didn't know you were coming. Yeah. <laughs> I would have bought a different sofa. I, I would have bought a different sofa. That's interesting though, because I remember once seeing, why was I watching it? I must have had a boyfriend who's into Morrissey and Russell Brand was interviewing him and the beginning of the interview was him saying, I can't sit on your sofa. And I thought what a silly thing to do that was, because that's the kind of, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe Morrissey wouldn't sit on Russell Brand's sofa. Maybe it's that way around. And I thought that's what makes people feel that you're judging them. Yes. And I, and I actually feel that some people shut off and go, oh God, I hate vegans or I hate vegetarians or because they feel like you're about to tell them off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you were really funny. You were like, it's fine. I didn't kill it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I didn't either. It's actually yeah. from my mum. Oh God. Your, your, um, mom, your mum killed it. <laughs> my mum killed it. My mum went out, killed it with her bare hands. Um, it was DFS, I yeah. think. It was also, DFS lots of form. lots of people who don't eat meat are actually fine with leather because it's a byproduct. Mm. So everyone has different systems with that anyway. Because you'll find vegans will probably have leather sofas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're different lines in the sand, I suppose. Yeah, exactly that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Sarah was fine with that. So just just you know, if if you come uh, if Sarah comes around to your house, uh, a leather sofa, and you have a leather sofa, she will sit on it, uh, but she won't judge you. 
So no. that's, yes, yeah. that's nice, that's, isn't it? Yeah. That's exactly, yeah, I think there's a thing of where you feel like there's a moral judgment, it makes it difficult because I've had debates like that with people before. And sometimes for me, I find the line morally quite difficult when mm. I've had friends who are like hardcore uh, vegetarians or vegans, mm. one friend in particular, yeah. that like this is like going back like to my 20s, yeah. who relentlessly cheated on his partner so my thought in my head then was like you're really great when it comes to animals and animals animal rights but you're shitty to humans yeah there's that and all the other one actually what I thought he was going to say then because I think you've done stand-up about it is people who are really kind of moralistic but take cocaine (laughs) and they're really like oh no because it happens a lot with being vegan actually the people go "Um, have you looked into soy actually because soy is really terrible for the environment and then you go actually I have actually because it's um most of soy goes to feeding animals that are killed for meat and and then and then they're like no and it's all about the human costs right and then apart from yeah. And that's why and that's why I love your your kind of like you, you it's not you don't preach about it you don't make anyone feel bad about it and I think that's the best kind of way like you say like yeah. Simon Amstel. Yeah. Well some people this is the thing about comedy and this is why I always stress that I'm not an activist because that is where people do absolutely switch off from you. No one wants to be told especially I think if your job is to be a clown like you yeah. can't I I I hate when I see and it's it must be middle-aged men that I find most triggering shouting at me like they've got all the answers and it's like I'm looking at you mate you're on your third marriage <laughs> don't tell me what to do don't tell me you've got the answers no I don't care what you think about Christianity <laughs> it's like stop shouting yeah yeah oh the um, yeah exactly that goes for religion across across the board you want to be able to it's fine to be atheist and it's fine to pick apart religion and it's all up for grabs and mm. it's all up for critical thought debate discussion and comedy mm. however when you tell people they're idiots for believing yeah. a thing and there is one comic yes. on the circuit who yeah. has a has a joke kind of going if you do believe, yeah. grow up yeah. and you think wow like the certainty of that opinion I suppose I saw another comic mm. quite a young comic doing stuff about religion I was yeah. like you've barely lived yeah. so the idea that you would be so certain and so fixed yeah, absolutely well everyone's got number one everyone's got at least one blind spot right and all stand-ups have to understand that whenever you think you're so sure of something that might be yours and also I want stand-up to be interesting. If you're going to talk about something like the Quran, be fascinating about it. Make me feel cleverer and stimulate me. And telling people that because they believe... Someone's saying, oh, God's a fairy in the sky. I'm like, this is boring. Like, my dad said that when I was seven. Be interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. talking about this before we started the pod but it is worth mentioning in context of comedians doing stand-up shows when I leave a show I like to be feel a little bit nourished but also kind of go oh I disagree with that or make me question it or I've learned something Mm. and that's the beauty of comedy but I think also I think maybe um, imbibing anything cultural like a podcast or reading a book I don't have to necessarily agree with everything but I do want to see someone's argument laid out in a way where I feel like I can engage with it and telling people you're right end of full stop isn't that saying this is how I've come up with my opinion and here's my train of thought that's interesting yeah Yeah. how we how I got to the point not what the point is but how I arrived there yeah at the destination the journey um so do you think so I would like to ask you about Mm. this as a broader thing like what what brought you to veganism or what point was it in your because I'm trying to think if the whole time I've known you yes it was about the same time as I started stand-up but it was an accident as in I was one of I've always been a kind of vegetarian and I say kind of because I did um 
Rufus Hound's got a radio show called My Teenage Diary. And I've always told people I've been vegetarian since I was seven. I remember because I went to a farm on a school trip and I thought, and my dad, when I got home, asked me what I thought farms were for. And I said, so children can learn about animals. <laughs> he really, really <laughs> laughed. That's and, so cute. And I was like, so that we can learn about them. And he was like, no, and told me why. And then I was like, okay, now I'm a vegetarian. But basically all my teenage diaries, I keep forgetting. And it's, I'm just always eating chicken burgers. And so I've always been an off and on vegetarian. And I became a vegan because I was in a play with some Buddhist actors. Now, that's really interesting because Buddhism is, a, is, is kind of a goalless philosophy and acting is a very goal-driven. <laughs> and so I hadn't realised there's a form... In, in London, I think there's a Buddhist centre which is for actors, so you can chant for everyone at the audition, like, rather than just yourself. Wow. So it's really fascinating. Their belief system is fascinating. And, and I did that very vegetarian thing, which happens to me now where people meet me and they go, oh, I am a vegetarian, which means, like, oh, I am in the club. I'm just not, like, one of the prefects. And um, one of the actors, she lent me a book about the dairy industry, and I found it such a shock because I just didn't know. I just, I really, really ignorantly, and I must have been... I was 27, I wasn't young, I thought the cows lived outside and they had to look for the eggs in the forest every morning and I just hadn't realised that animals were in factories. And yeah. so, and then, and then once you know it, it actually can become gross quite quickly, like milk in particular. I don't feel like, mm, I wish I could have some, I like, oh my, like it makes me feel disgusted. Do you just go, yeah. hormones? It's not about hormones, it's about pus actually as well. Oh God! <laughs> So, and also, so that's the thing and I'm, this is not me trying to again propaganda no so, but I would like to know yeah, so, I'm asking okay, so, yeah. so the average age of a cow in, in that kind of like a super farm dairy is uh, about 18 months they don't live real so they're basically baby girls and um, they have the teat the electronic teats milkers on constantly so they don't get taken off they just stand there and they're fitted and when you have I mean, it's a ma- you can imagine it's the same with our bodies but if you have something fitted all the time your skin reacts to it they get scabs and they ulcerate into the milk which is why they need so many antibiotics so they put them on antibiotics all the time because and there's yeah there's lots of stuff like that which is I think what quite happens with empathy in lots of ways I think exactly the same with lots of kind of human causes if it hasn't occurred to you you don't even know to care about it yeah and so quite often we all have these like little again like I say like these blind spots we don't realize like lots of people with the clothing industry you just think, you just trust that no one's really that evil. <laughs> and then someone's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, boo, that's what we need to take down. Although I feel like feminism has become very capitalist, but that's a whole other... But everything becomes capitalist. Like, Eventually, you can make money yeah. out of anything. <laughs> yeah. And also because being rich at something is a sign of success, succeeding at it. So, of course, Beyonce is suddenly like, she's the most success, successful feminist. Look what she's doing. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I noticed it recently, I think, with Pride. I think it was a coffee shop. I'm, I'm, I could say the name, but it might be wrong. It might, and we might get in okay. trouble on the podcast. Just name but, them all. Uh, name them all. <laughs> Cafe Costa. Uh, Cafe Co- Costa Bucks. Yeah. Uh, and they had a pride cup. And I was yeah. like, I think I looked up the place that it was. And they had yeah. like zero hour contracts. And I was yeah. like, mm, enjoy that equality while you swallow your zero hour contracts. Yeah. So I sometimes find those contradictions really weird. It was like the, uh, there was a t-shirt. I think it was Dior. Yeah. That had used the, uh, um, is Chimandi quote? That we yes, should all be yes. feminine. and it was like available up to like a size 12 and it was like 500 pounds so like yeah Yeah. I mean unless you're over 12 don't be feminine there's a really interesting uh, I think it's a free economics podcast about that exact thing which is that um, basically virtue signaling for certain companies and how it earns you more money and Starbucks had a thing where 
it was a really horrible thing that happened in America where um, a black man who, who went to use the toilet while I was waiting for his friend, was they put, called the police on him. They asked him to leave and then called the police. And then all the Starbucks in America closed down for 24 hours for training. And while technically they lost money, it was such an incredible exercise. And there's people in PR whose job it is to make companies look ethical. And people then end up drinking so much more. They have this brand loyalty because they go, this terrible thing happened. And they did the right thing about it. And um, the podcast, you can hear some of the training that they had about race relations and unconscious bias yeah yeah I always feel like I'm not careful with I mean I had a bit in my last show about race but it was Mm. about my unconscious bias Mm. and my own prejudice um and I think it's important to unpack that but I think you need to be careful to not speak on behalf of yeah but you can say how you feel as an individual but you can't say I'm speaking on behalf of black women and this is how they fit or black people you know you go I don't know that so that's not my experience I I, I have exactly the same thing stressing this is not talking on behalf of all women now because I talk about biological things quite a lot and there are lots of women who weren't born as biological women and you absolutely exclude them if you go women get pmt am i right you have instantly gone oh that's the only type of woman that there is yes and so and and i've heard other people saying like oh it really slows you down if you make qualifiers it doesn't like it just as long as you know what you're trying to say it slips off the tongue no one else notices i've stopped saying um a couple of tools ago i stopped saying ladies and gentlemen at the beginning before going on stage and um and you think the pe- no one else will notice. Yes. But the, the, the people you don't want to exclude and you want to feel like they're welcome to come and enjoy your subjective worldview, yeah. th- they do notice. They notice yeah. it, yeah. My always my guiding thing for any piece of stand-up is can I go to bed and feel happy? Mm. When I go to sleep, can I feel happy about what I've said? Mm. Or am I trying to put something really dark out into the world? I think there is that I go, oh am I making the world worse? Because when I first started seeing stand-up, although lots of it's supposed to be like, I would say in quote marks like ironical. So a man who goes on and does a whole th- show about how much he hates women and they're just uh hoes and you can't trust them and and the whole point you're supposed to get that he's joking because it's comedy but i think are we all listening to that (laughs) for an hour and 20 minutes and it feels like the world's worse or because actually laughing at that for a really long time yeah i i personally feel really uncomfortable with it yeah i think i watched a bill burr one and i felt like that because i remember so many people and i i should say i do think he's incredibly skilled as a comedian yeah it's not saying oh he's rubbish how did he get so famous yeah Yeah. and so i wanted to so far that i almost challenged myself because i watched it and i i think it was uh it's the one where he talks about i don't know if you've seen it arnie and the army of gold digging whores and it's never okay to hit a woman and so i was told by about five different male comics Mm. that i didn't understand the bit he's not saying it's okay to hit a woman i was like I know the bit. I've watched the show. Yeah. What I'm saying is... What, what, does, it, what does he say? He says, like, um, it's not... Because Chris Rock has a bit of, like, you should never hit one, but you could shake... I'd shake the shit out of one. Okay. Which is one bit that he has. Yeah. I think the Bill Burr bit is, it's it's never okay, but... It's never okay, but... Yeah. And then there's a bit in, in the show where he says, do you remember those women in the 50s? They were just like, my mum and my dad. He was like, I'm jealous of the way my dad used to speak to my mum. And it's so horrific the way his dad speaks to his mum. He was like, those women, they would just absorb shit and then just get on with their lives. But he'd say that, they'd just absorb it. And then his mum's crying in the kitchen. You go, that's not someone absorbing. That's someone... That's someone who's trapped by economics and they can't leave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They didn't just absorb it. And that, that for me, makes me think for how self-aware most comedians are, that you can't come out from that and see the broader ramifications Mm. of, of what that means. Um, so over the course of an hour, I just watched misogyny and yeah. I felt sort of a bit brutalized yeah. by it at yeah. the end. 
And I think since he's sort of come out and gone, yeah, I regret some of the stuff in it. Yeah, I think, so I've never really sought him out. And him and there's a couple of other comics who I know are technically very, very good at what they do and also hugely successful. But it's that thing of like, because I know I don't enjoy it, like you say, I avoid it. And I think one of the things I do believe about comedy is it's so democratic. Actually, this is what the problem with the Louis C.K. turning up at a gig thing is, as we discussed the other day. People vote with their money. They choose to go and see certain comics. So you can't say, I don't agree with Bill Burr, so I'm closing the theatre down. He's cancelled. <laughs> yeah, he's cancelled everyone. He's cancelled everyone. Um, it's absolutely people's choice. It's our choice not to go. It's other people's choice to go. I love that about comedy. that it, Because basically it makes money from the minute you can fill 30 seats. Like you can, you can pay yourself, which means that each comedian is a kind of cottage industry and they take it all over the world and... People decide whether to go on or to walk out. Also with comedy, people stand up and tell you if they disagree. They go, yes. they stand up, and, they, and I love that about it. It doesn't happen at theatre. <laughs> no one's ever like, no. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, at the same time, that's the thing with comedians who have um, made the workplace dangerous for other people, and then just turning up unannounced. The audience don't get a chance to go. In all seriousness, thinking about it logically, do I want to do I want be to part be of this? Yeah. Not like Louis C.K. to do something unconsensual, um, but but uh, yeah, that's exactly mm. it. And I think there's a there's a difference there as well between between um, material and the individual. Mm. So with someone like Bill, might be the nicest person in the dressing room because he's put out that show and it's a bit misogynist. Yeah. But in his life, his misogyny. At least I can kind of go. At least his misogyny is laid bare on stage. You kind yeah, of know that's, who that's he the is. Joke, he's telling it? you. That's the thing. It's the joke. And I think. That's the thing is when people go, you don't understand the joke. The joke is he's being a misogynist and we're all laughing because you're not allowed to do that. And he doesn't believe it. And I guess that's the thing. You know, like when Donald Trump says, grab him by the pussy. And then he goes, I was joking. That's how men speak to each other. And you go, that's the thing you can say about anything. The joke was, yeah, <laughs> it's not allowed and you're not supposed to. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the other thing about turning anything into a joke. That's where there's a whole discussion to be had about free speech and mm. freedom of speech with Count Dankula. Yeah, exactly. When does a joke cross a line into hate speech? I think when they're definitely not a comedian, <laughs> like yeah. Donald Trump, yeah. you kind of go, well, maybe it's not your place to make jokes with, when um, you... The, the law in this country is um, you can't... They have freedom of speech unless... Because, you know, at Speaker's Corner, so you can't... You still can't insult the monarch, that's written in, that you, and you're not allowed to incite a riot. And that's what I think about hate speech... Uh, if what you're making is a joke that's supposed to is trying to turn other people into um, objects or enrage other people against them, then we've already written that into free speech. You're not allowed to do it. It's not you can't say anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that uh, to come back to the Bill Burr thing, mm. I did challenge myself. I went to see him in Edinburgh, mm. and what I found interesting was I went with Paul. And it was kind of a work in progress, and there were two really standout bits that mm. were like kind of incredible bits of stand up, but the audience. Yeah. We're unbearable. Yeah. And I do think you build that audience with the well, type that's of stand up you to do. Frankie Boyle. So Frankie Boyle says some of the most horrific things. I mean, they're incredibly written, but he does say horrific things. That is the joke. Like, yeah. Uh, he says, and so, some of the things he says are very hateful. Most people who go to see him politically agree with him, so the targets. But he does, he criticizes people based on their appearance. He calls women horrible names based on what they look like. Um, but in real life, a very kind of soft, gentle man whose audience make his gigs unbearable for him because the people who are attracted by the way that he speaks. So it, it's a vicious cycle. My audience are so nice that like we did previews together. Yeah. And they're just lovely people. <laughs> like yeah. So lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And I often see your crowd like um, 
uh, Instagram or tweet you bits mm. from your book that they've loved, that yeah. they've enjoyed. That level of engagement or that... I got like a, a message the other day, and this will be a, a, a question that, mm. that I wanted to ask at the end, but I can ask you it now. But I got a message the other day going, I saw you, and it was just, a, I was trying out stuff for like mm. Mock the Week, so I was just in yes, a 20 yeah. minutes somewhere. And someone went, I really loved it, and you ignited a feminist fire that I didn't know was there. <sighs> I thought it was really intellectual. And this was a woman, It like, she wasn't young. Yeah. Sometimes you'll get that off like 17, 18-year-old girls, yes. and you go, oh, that's yeah. really exciting. This was a woman who was like in her mid-30s, yeah. And I was like, that's what I Amazing. want. That's what I want. That's what I'm yeah. aiming for. Yeah. That's what we get from our audiences. But I think if you build a house of hate, mm. you're going to fill it yeah. with yeah. hateful people. Oh, you just really put me back in touch with my hatred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think... Um, so, so this is the thing about stand-up in general. Because no one invites you, there's no qualifications. There's not even like a drama school that you go to. Um, so with other creative subjects, you would like train under people and be like, there's none of that. So everyone's just themselves. Sometimes the act of being heard and speaking, that's why it has to remain so diverse. And and the more diverse, the better for it as a, as a what would you call it? Like a, begins with a habitat for like, right. all of the creatures to exist in. Because that makes the audience be really diverse that means that all different kinds of people will come to see comedy or find a comedian that speaks to them the point of defense or when we decide to forgive people because we mentioned earlier Mm. so it's a bit all over the place but i wanted to come back to the louis ck thing Mm. for a moment it would be amazing if he did some kind of reparation, like, sub, you know, as someone who loved his stand-up. Yeah. I would love to see him kind of show some kind of contrition. I think even to discuss what is... Uh, how, do you, how do you become forgiven? Because if you have someone who's encroached, but you're not going to go to prison for it... Because the thing is, if you go to prison, you're let out, and people understand that's the system we all understand. Yes. You broke the rules, you're punished, but you don't get punished forever. Yeah. Um, none of us think that criminals shouldn't be employed again. People should be given second chance some people do but we don't <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so um but but yeah, yeah so when when does the punishment begin and end and that's what people are trying to have but that and also again when you're trying to save your career every single person in his life will be saying the more you say sorry the less chance you've got of coming back from this right so every, everyone the... in his life who's got an interest in him making money will be saying to him the less you apologize the better the quicker this blows over the better yeah because you're not cosby they'll be saying to him yeah and it there are differences and it's really important to note the differences between that version of sexual assault yes. and, yeah. and and what yeah. what Bill Cosby did. And also did. that's the thing is like like with all crimes there is a sliding scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There has to be there has mm. to be that it's not black and white we're, what we're entering into is a lot of grey on all of this stuff and conversations yes. about consent and active which consent. Which isn't to, which isn't to say that anyone anyone's experience isn't, is so affected, is so subjectively affected. So I'm not saying that that's not to dismiss their experience of it, but in terms of punishment. Yes. Yeah. So I think as well, here's, here's what I think is interesting about it. I think regardless of apology, what about the women that it affected? Because we are centered mm. around the person who's yes. the moneymaker, yeah. who is the king, yeah. uh, who is this person. So if something could be done for those women yeah. <laughs> to give them back. Yeah. Uh, and also, is it up to us to decide? This is the problem. So this thing is, I think if this happened here, I know how our industry works, as in like us women and yes. how well connected we are. And I absolutely know that if the equivalent of a very famous male comedian to female comedians that we knew, we would be looking after them. So I don't know if that is happening in America. Right. Um, there was, do you remember there was a comic 
I, mean, I think it's Jenny Collier who pu- published a letter she got from a gig saying we accidentally booked two women so we've cancelled you. Yeah. And then everyone booked her the next week. Like she actually then was suddenly playing much bigger gigs because everyone was like, that is so terrible that happened to you. But they then knew how to contact her and who she was or they watched her clip to see is she actually any good at being dropped from a gig. Yes. And so I really hope that is happening in America around these people. And, um, and actually I think it's the same vice versa for Louis C.K., like, while I absolutely don't stand, I don't think he shouldn't have a career, he absolutely has to talk, he has to overcome this. He because, has to overcome yeah, it. He'll, he'll have to talk about it on stage in a way, and that might be the longest journey, is working out how he's going to. I think the surprise is, I suppose, that he was in a comedy club as opposed to, because people will still go and see him, and that's when you build your, oh, he, your uh, fan base. Annoyingly, he'll sell out a massive tour in four hours. Yes. <laughs> like, of course he will, because people yeah. are so fascinated. But when it's at a comedy club, they have a level of responsibility to other comedians and women. Do they yeah. feel safe backstage? Yeah, I mean, Do they that's feel it. safe? It's not... Louis C.K. has to, number one, realise now that he's been told this, he can't do this to women anymore. And and comedy clubs have to be aware who they're employing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And I think his audience as well, and in a slightly different way to Bill Burr's audience, but I saw a lot of people online, I think that was part of the frustration, I guess, people that were offending, def- defending Louis C.K., mm. people that were defending Louis C.K. were doing these really sort of bad faith arguments yeah. and quite misogynist attacking of women online yes this isn't helping your case yeah and also any other male comedians going well how long is long enough we need to think about how men come back from this and i think the anger for that is going we're barely into this for women yeah so also i think so many of them have got at least one night because this is my theory about i think there are lots of very good men in general there are lots of very good men and some bad decisions there are there are a few of them that have have, have ruined someone's night let's say that yeah and and when it becomes gray area for them as in i'm not a rapist yeah <laughs> i just didn't leave this woman alone because i was drunk or i did like we were talking about edinburgh like say like grabbing someone's tits because you think it's so funny i think a lot of them once the gray area became like oh people find out about it and that's it it's it's not a police issue yeah but it's a it's social media we all we, know about it yeah. all of a sudden i think there's a lot of men when I say a lot, I don't mean all of them. I don't even mean over half, but who are scared? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Terrified that they have, yeah, they've had a night. But any good, I think any good man would go back through the Rolodex. In the light of what happened, I even remember discussing it with, I was in Australia and I was mm. with um, Lauren Duca, who's like really, really funny. You should check her out. Mm. I mentioned this on the pod. She writes for Team Vogue, but she does all the political stuff for them. And we, we were in Australia and we were just having lunch in a really nice beachside mm. cafe. And I was with, I was with my, my partner, Paul, and we were talking, in fact, about Amy Schumer's bit. Amy yeah. Schumer has a bit about grape, the grey yes. area of yeah. rape, yeah. like where it, you've kind of, where everyone's everyone's had sex with someone where afterwards they go, that was sort of, yeah, that wasn't quite consensual. Yeah. Or I relented. And we started talking about it. And I talked about an experience that I'd had. Mm. And Lauren talked about an experience. And we talked about nights where we were quite drunk, but we just went along with it. And he was like, oh my God, this makes me feel sick. Because mm. what if there's been a night where we've both been quite drunk and a girl's just gone along with it? And it's not that any of these men go, I've... But isn't that the thing? So, you know, like in um, colleges and universities when they try to do consent training and lots of people, lots of people just went along to them, men and women, and I'm sure non-binary. And, um, and some men got so like, don't tell me, I know what it is, I know what it is. And it's like, well, unless you've asked yourself that question, you don't. Yes. And it's not accusing you of anything. It's saying, ask yourself that question. Yeah. And the difference between kind of 
He just went, oh, drunken enthusiasm. fumblings when I was young, yeah, yeah. you know. And you go, no, you didn't do anything wrong. But the fact that you 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 kind of go, oh, mm. I've not thought about the fact of like... Because some, some men have had the same situation. Like, I, researching for my book, I've read lots of situations where men have felt too embarrassed. Because sex is embarrassing. Yeah. Especially if you don't know someone very well. And if you don't have communication set up, that's the whole point of like talking to young people about it is going, you might both not want to do something, but not want to upset the other person or be trying to please them. Or it, it becomes a point for so many people they go oh it's too late to stop it or say no and that can happen at all of these different gradients and I think good men will go back good men as well will go back and kind of go was there ever a time I was shitty to a woman because I mm. turned her down because yeah. I feel that's a bigger thing as well sometimes yeah. the lose-lose situation is if you say no so I'm imagining the Louis situation where he says can I and you say no that's yeah. career crushing a yeah. problem between the two of you if you say yeah. yes that's career crushing a problem between the yeah. two you know there's a kind of no win there yeah whereas it's kind of like blackballing or punishment or you know not blackballing stonewalling mm. i mean like you well, it, well we know from our industry it's a gig economy people have to like you to give you work and they might not even acknowledge themselves the reason they don't like you is you made them feel like a lich yeah. Because when they said to you and you were like, excuse me, I'm your peer and I'm at work. Don't speak to me like that. And then they won't even acknowledge I don't book her because she basically called me a Called me out on my shit. <laughs> yeah. Instead you go, nah, I've just never got it. Never got it. Don't think she's that good. And you believe that about it. But yes. the reason you don't think I'm very good is because <laughs> you don't, the thought of me upsets you because I upset you. Yes. Yeah. I turned you down. Mm. I, I said no. Or sometimes or was... it's just, and this is a lesser thing not playing the game and again I don't think this is necessarily gendered so I'm not saying that men don't have this experience but when you go for a meeting there's a kind of flirtation that goes on anyway like you act interested in what they're saying you listen properly lots of eye contact when you don't do those things people don't employ you yes. so there is a thing like lots of stuff in our industry the people who get on better with some of the producers or execs get their shows made like right. we're human beings are like we're, charm we're mammals we yes. can't help but go this is my tribe and that's what's happened a lot with like structural racism and things is that people like people who look like them and so yeah. when all the execs are white people that yes causes and that's why that's why the white male and this is one occasion where i can say white male yeah uh white male middle class mm. preferably oxbridge just voice fits. is yes. so dominant because yeah. so many of those people reflects, are part yeah. of the hierarchy of television mm. and they go well no I get this yeah. so therefore this is me and you go yeah but that's not society I, th I think it's such an advanced point that we're getting to in civilization that we at least know that now and I remember um a couple of years ago remember when there were everyone who was nominated for Oscars was white and I remember saying something to our friend Nish Kumar about oh my god these terrible um judges should just make sure they're really considering people who aren't white and he went no, all the judges shouldn't be white. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, of yeah. course. It's so obvious. It's so obvious, but me, a white person, couldn't see it. Yes, <laughs> like, yeah. And, and it's a thing. And again, like, this is why you need kind people around you. I'm not saying people shouldn't be furious and shouldn't be angry because they're, they're, they're absolutely entitled to that. But when there's someone who will tell you in a nice way, <laughs> like yeah. your friend Nish, to go, um, <laughs> it's ridiculous you don't realise that that starts right at the top. You go, oh, yeah. <laughs> So I guess this kind of moves into the kind of social change aspect of it. Mm. Like I mentioned dermatil 
Dermatillomania in oh, one yes, of my shows yeah. and someone sent me an email afterwards going I came to see the show and it was the first time I've been out of the house in weeks and thank you they didn't even know it was in the show yeah. because I wasn't even really aware mm. of something so like I said I've seen your Instagram post mm. but have you ever received an email that's made you go oh wow yeah I'm really um, really lucky and actually I get embarrassed about it because it kind of you feel like it's not worth it but like I tell you things that really make me happy I get emails where people tell me sad things that have happened to them. So some of it, I wasn't able to get pregnant for a really long time. Also, still, I'm not, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I've had so many babies today. But um, uh, I wasn't able to get pregnant, so I had a routine about not being able to get pregnant, which wasn't uh, in great detail. I've talked about PCOS, so similarly, and also I had a lot of stuff about consent in my book. So people sometimes tell me sad things or hopeful things, or and that feels very personal, but it's when the other day... There's a, a little girl, she's 13, and I've just arranged for her and her mum to come to one of my tour shows. And um, she listens to my audiobook, she falls asleep, and in the morning she asks someone questions. And like, that's just so adorable. And then I had a girl who changed her A-level subjects after she read my book. And then, like, so she's 16 and picked, and things like that. Yeah, you feel this incredible connection. And actually what you're really swelled with is this feeling of like, we're all just trying our best. <laughs> That's it. And all you're doing is putting yourself out there and going, oh, I think maybe this, or being a little bit vulnerable. You know, like the Brené Brown talks so much about strength and vulnerability. Yes. And I, th- and I think there's no one who wouldn't benefit from watching her TED Talks. They're on YouTube, everyone. And just remembering that sometimes you go, I feel really scared to admit it. And then you admit it. And it makes other people feel stronger. I think that's the only way they get to come back to the capitalism thing. Our industry is thriving in some areas and shriveling up and dying in others and that is a sign of you have to create an audience and they have to, to there's so much on Netflix right to leave the house yeah. <laughs> it's such an incredible thing to come and see something sit in the room get dressed so there has to be something there for people that they can't get anywhere else yeah and they yeah they've made a big effort to come yeah. and see you um, and that's the beauty of doing tour shows you know that they're they're only to see yeah to see you yeah I don't like doing other gigs now because yeah. <laughs> I'm like no, you're here for the night not for me yeah yeah you do get spoiled yeah. don't you yeah sometimes it's nice to come out of your comfort zone um yeah just remember oh I've got to say hello properly <laughs> yeah has there ever been a bit that you've written that you faced sort of hostility when you did it but you've managed to push through and create this this really rewarding piece mm. or or a piece of political material or social justice material that you thought oh actually this is because you do uh, your opinions as well yes. you know similar to me do you know what i um i was very lucky i did a show called stand up for the week when i was only doing stand up maybe four or five years maybe four years and when i got the job john richardson said to me never forget we're not the luckiest people in the world so we get to talk about the news and our opinion on it in public and he said we're very very privileged so number one I thought okay be very very careful about what you say but make sure so I would always make sure I politically agreed with what I was saying which sometimes is really annoying because it's so much funnier you just make it about make fun <laughs> of someone's contrary. face contrary yeah. <laughs> yeah. no but then Dan Swimer who was he's one of Simon Amstel's writers he gave me the most incredible advice I had this routine that's all about Hagen Das had done this uh, had a Facebook group and they'd done um, an app and it was it was just really um it was all about women eating ice cream and eating ice cream to make this when they've been dumped. And I just, I hated it so much. And I, I'd written this like 10 minute monologue and he went, 
while your point is right and people will agree with you, it's very hard to listen to you because <laughs> you're ranting. Yeah. <laughs> and then he said, be sarcastic and say the opposite to what you think sometimes. And it was really good. It was, and then he said, that's what Simon Amstel does. He doesn't say, I think everyone should be a vegan. <laughs> he goes, it's like, he says it in this other way. And then, mm, mm, and it was such a huge learning lesson to go, sometimes you can't earnestly say what you think. You have to do the opposite and go, oh, good idea, hagen das. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love your new idea. So playing with ways like that because usually if I try something at new material and I feel like I'm lecturing people I drop it or I just save it and go I know I want to talk about it but I need to find a funny way to do it uh, yeah I need yeah. to find a way to get into that bit that doesn't make people instantly go yeah Ugh. yeah also sometimes you go if you a bit like with jokes if you can guess what's coming that's not a good joke if, if it's the kind of joke that anyone in a pub could make then it's not good enough for a comic. Yes. And then same with opinions. I think if you already agree, so if everyone, do you know what? I don't think people really like Donald Trump, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've just picked up on this vibe. <laughs> so to say you don't like Donald Trump isn't a sentence you need to say out loud. Yes. But so it's more fascinating to criticise him while pretending you're a big fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to go, why does no one like Trump? He did this. And then you can talk about it and no one goes, no one even realises you're criticising him. Yeah. 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 Um, Challenging perceptions. Is there ever a point when it's too late to change someone's views? Most people. <laughs> like, um, there's a really amazing book I always talk about called Heretics by Will Store, and it's about how people believe things without evidence. And actually, for most of us as adults, so what he explains really well is if the brain changed its mind all the time, reality wouldn't be solid. <laughs> Uh, Our brain's trying to protect us. Yes, yes. It's so we don't go mad. So uh, the book is full of brain studies where it shows people... We skip negative things about people we like. Like we, um, there, was a, there was a list of sentences about these Republican politicians and they watched people in MRIs, or maybe not MRIs, but watched their eyes kind of skipping negativity. Because you, like our, our brain does protect us from certain things. So I also I think respecting other people's uh, rights to disagree with us. Because if we all believe, everyone should believe the same as us, then we do become dictators. Yeah. Because right? that is what dictators do. They go, no, 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 I've definitely, I'm right about this. And I need to persuade everyone by forcing them. And then, so there is this thing where you go, you should always question like your right to it. To go, oh, I'm going to put, like I say, here's my workings. Yeah. I put it out there, especially if your job is to be an entertainer, but not to go, no, I think I can sort out this country's politics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We should all run for office. Yeah. Um, yeah so um so that's that's the difference between us i think we're only ever representing ourselves yeah. so we can put our opinions out on a line well that's in, it in i always think about can't. comedian's job is just to communicate clearly and concisely so everyone can understand you and then you watch a politician you go did you unlearn speaking and they have because they can't just let their brain talk to their mouth anymore they have to filter it through what am i allowed to say and that's why they don't seem, most of them seem very human, which is why, unfortunately, people who are really good at talking, like Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage, of course they do so well politically because they people seem. Like they're charming. Well, they can actually just talk. And then they go, yeah, said it. <laughs> I said it. You can't fire me. Everyone likes me. Yeah, that's a good question to end on, I think. Mm. Thank you Great. so much, Thank Sarah. Thank you. You've been listening to a Lush podcast. You can find more podcasts from us wherever you find podcasts, usually on the internet.